We're listening to Sun and Fun Radio, WPEP 788. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations with which they work. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation. Remember your training and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Welcome back to Sun and Fun Radio Live. I am your host, Dave the Radio Guy. I'm chairman of the station. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I turn control. Oh, God, this is scary. I turn control of the Sun and Fun Radio Studios over to Jack, Jeb, and Dave, otherwise known as the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast. Take it away, guys. Thank you, Dave. We haven't burned the place down yet, so I, I think there's a probably a good chance that we won't burn it down this time. But we'll give it another try, uh, a good, a good uh, aviation try. Hey, welcome, folks, to episode 131 of Uncontrolled airspace the general aviation podcast this is another of our very special episodes of the podcast we're recording on location live from the grounds of the 2009 sun and fun fly-in in lakeland florida once again we're the guests of sun and fun radio and we're back on their beautiful front deck and i have to tell you the weather here is fine uh it's a beautiful day here in uh do we, do we call this Central Florida, Southern Florida? What's what do they call it's this part of the state? Central Florida. Central yeah. Florida here in Lakeland, uh, uh, sort of halfway between Tampa and uh, Orlando. Uh, if you uh, are not familiar with Florida, and uh, the this is the first official day of Sun and Fun Flying, and uh, seems to be uh, uh, just rolling along at a pretty good clip. Good crowds and uh, lots of airplanes on display, and uh, you know, so lots uh, of people. So how you guys doing? Uh, Jeb and Dave are here, and we've got a bunch of other friends who are going to be joining us through the next hour and a half or so. My feet hurt, but other than that, I'm yeah. fine. So, you know, I should not be surprised. It should not come as any, any surprise to me that we haven't done the podcast yet. You guys have already found a party. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One and then another, and there's another one later. So you were off at a... Well, what, so what parties have you been at already? Just kind of fill people in so they know well, what's a, going on. a little gathering by the avionics maker Avidyne uh-huh. to celebrate uh, their Release 9 Integra system. Yep. Uh, very slick stuff, and we hope to have somebody here to talk more yep, about that'd that be great. in a little while. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, there's a, some private access facilities that we try <laughs> to frequent, and... Uh, where the uh, they, they they actually even have at the Sunset Grill on the showgrounds, they have line and kugels. They're pouring line and kugels. And line yeah. and kugels in Lakeland. So we're beginning to see a tradition expand ever farther south. That's thankfully. great. You will be assimilated. That's right. That's right. So uh, Jeb and I arrived here on the grounds this morning, but Dave, you've been here for a couple of days. Tell us what uh, what you've seen. What's the what's your f- sense of the of the fly-in so far? It's well, still pretty uh, early, but uh, energy's really come up today. Today's opening day. Uh, my arrival came on uh, just after noon on Sunday, and the initial reaction was, "Wow, there's a lot of empty space here," but things filled up pretty dramatically yesterday, and the setups got done. The airplanes came in almost steady nonstop yesterday, despite some. Uh, Anatomy ugly weather, and uh, been even busier today, and almost overdeveloped with clouds today. And then it, they just magically disappeared. A lot of energy on the grounds, and uh, Avidyne had a press conference uh, announcing the TSO of their release nine this morning. Aspen unveiled some new products. We've got some nice airplanes here as usual, uh, and it's early in the show. The crowd's not what we would expect to see 
on the weekend, but that's the rhythm of this place. Yeah. It starts out slow that's and builds right. like a crazy thing until yeah. the end. Quite, quite honestly, I was kind of surprised at the number of aircraft that had already arrived. That are already here, yeah. Uh, as we drove in. Um, and we, and, and you're not talking about exhibit show airplanes. Well, you're talking well, like I'm, visitors. I'm talking about attendees. Yeah, attendees. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I agree. The, 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 the real um, people that the make the show. Areas, the parking areas, um, the incoming parking areas are fairly full. Uh, that's not to say that there's not space. There's plenty of space for new arrivals. But um, I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't know what to expect this year. Um, all the exhibit spaces appear to be filled. No one's back, you know, backed out at the last minute. Uh, that's always a good sign. Um, it's not as thickly populated as I've seen in, in earlier years, but uh, the quality is high. And uh, you can move around. It's, it's a great show so far. I'm, I'm uh, kind of disappointed I won't be here the rest of the week. Yeah, you got to sneak away again. That real job keeps I, I interfering. I have a day job that, you know, they, they kind of want me to work every now and then. And we tried I, to keep him from doing I, that. But. I, I try to humor them by uh, showing up. So I need, I need to do that tomorrow, and, and that's plan A. Yeah. Okay. Well, yesterday I visited a little bit with uh, David Piper. He's the longtime chairman of the Paradise City operation. Uh, and Paradise City is uh, formerly the, the light, Ultralights area. but now the Ultralight and Light Experimental right. Area. Uh, and it used to have all the LSAs in it as well. Uh, but they were down only one exhibitor from last year, which was down dramatically, but it's good to see it stabilize. Uh, Dan Johnson, the president and chairman of the Light Aircraft Manufacturers Association, tells me his LSA mall is as full as last year, so that's a good sign. Uh, all the usual suspects in the way of uh, GA manufacturers are here as usual, although not all of them at quite the strength that we're used to seeing. But then things have been tough all the way around. So, it, you know, the fact that they're still here is testament to the resiliency of this market. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, David, what number Sun and Fun is this for you? This is 23, 24, somewhere in that neighborhood. How's it, I don't know if we've talked about it in this past. How is it different now than the first one? The very first time I rolled in here was in the middle of the night in 2001, and I'd never seen anything like it. Uh, 2001? And it was a fraction of the size that it is now. 2001? No, no, that's not I'm 20 sorry, years. 1981. Yeah, that's there you 1981. go. 1981. It's uh, one of those it one years. It's a the, the runway, the 927, the main runway here, was uh, several uh, thousand feet shorter than it is today. The main road in, in those days, was the end of the showgrounds, and now it's in the middle of the camping area, and it goes for about a half a mile past that. Uh, We've seen over the years the ultralight area grow to having 250 different models on the grounds uh, and 60, 70 manufacturers down to a relative handful. Then we've seen the light experimental and LSA stuff take off. Uh, in the early years, the main airframe manufacturers didn't attend at anywhere near the level that they do today which shows that uh, Sun and Fun's really gained prominence and importance in the great scheme of things in general aviation. I mean, we've got Hawker Beach here, Mooney, Cessna Aircraft, uh, my good friend Stu Horn with uh, uh, Aviot Aircraft. He's got about six airplanes in his booth. Uh, Cessna's got a 10 and a mock-up. Yeah. Uh, talking to some of the folks today you know there's airplanes for sale there's financing available if uh, pilots have a little bit more confidence in economics we may see things start to pick up here in the next eight yeah. or nine months yeah. but uh, this is truly 
the launch of the air show season, the spring flying season. It was a snowbird getaway when it first started 35 years ago. Used to be earlier in the season, right? Well, it was in January. Right. And then it moved to February because of weather. Then it moved to March and was in March for several years. It's been in, in April for as long as I can remember now. And uh, weather's always a little better than more predictable than the March and February shows. One year in January, they actually had snowfall during Sun and Fun. So, uh, yeah. The major concentration of vendors here, like Avidyne and Aspen, Honeywell, Garmin, uh, if you need it, if you want it, it's here on the grounds. Yeah. Jeb, now we just arrived this morning. You wandered around a little bit. I, I get the feeling you bought something already. What? I, I, you know, st- I'm always buying, you know, the latest tool I need or, uh, you know, some bits or, and or, or don't need. It really doesn't or, matter. Or don't need. I think think that I need. How's that? There you go. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, wandering around all the, the vendors, the, uh, the exhibit hangers. Uh, some of the flight line. Uh, I was I was very interested to see the Piper jet here. It's the prototype. It's it's the test article. I, I didn't know it was here. I had yeah, weird, yeah. yeah. What'd you it, think? It, it looks good. I'm I'm very very uh, surprised and heartened to see that aircraft here on the on the flight line. Uh, it looks good, as I say, and uh, wish them a lot of luck with it. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yep. Um, there, there's a lot of other stuff. Don't get me wrong either. Um, the Avidyne uh, avionics is very exciting. I'm looking forward. Uh, I think I have the opportunity on Sunday to fly that. Um, but um, turnout looks great. Yep. Uh, yep. The the the, uh, the vendors that I would expect to see in the the tents and the booths and the exhibits that I would expect to see are all here, uh, with one or two exceptions that we might get to later. Um, uh, Again, attendance is slightly down, but that just makes it all that much more accessible. Yeah, and it, and it will certainly build as the week so pro- as the as the week it's progresses. All good. So let me just kind of draw a picture here for folks who may not be familiar with Sun and Fun or the grounds. Uh, we are, as I said, in the the uh, Sun and Fun Radio Studios here out on their front deck. Uh, we are sort of roughly in the midst of the exhibits area. Uh, there are uh, exhibit uh, uh, aviation exhibits uh, on the uh, grass all around us. Lots of tents. Uh, there are uh, a couple of fixed buildings. There's the uh, the Sunset Grill uh, that Dave mentioned a few minutes ago is off to our left. If we stand facing out on this deck, the runway's off in the distance, probably four or five hundred yards distant is the uh, is the edge of the flight line uh, and uh, there are a lot of airplanes on display uh, there are uh, regular uh, 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 in, you know general not not show planes not exhibitor planes but regular uh, attendee planes parked even further out uh, just before you get to the runway off to the left we've got the four big uh, exhibit hangars uh, where a lot of the indoor exhibits are happening and they are surrounded by a lot more outdoor exhibits um, over the years, I've only been here four years or so, but the area behind the radio station has become much more of an active yes. exhibit area over the years. And so when we're no longer, I, one, once upon a time, I would have described this as the back edge of the exhibit right. area. But now it's sort of in the midst, and you just go past this little grove of trees, and there's a lot of displays out. Well, there, uh, there's always been Paradise City, which is the ultralight. Yeah. And, and then uh, so Paradise City would yeah. be down to our right, yeah. uh, a lot more exhibits, and you go out onto the uh, what is normally the taxiways and continue down past some more uh some more general parking, and that's where uh, yeah. Paradise City, the ultralight yeah. area, is. And then if you go even further down to that direction, which is the south, you get to uh, Chop- Choppertown. That's what it's called, right? Choppertown, Dave? Choppertown. Choppertown. Yeah, that's the, far, that's the most remote flying area on that's the ground. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. It, it's Sun and Fun 
for anybody that's attended Air Venture up in Oshkosh, uh, you might be used to how linear that show is laid out. And we had this conversation. We did have this conversation. Yeah, Go right. ahead, start it again. See well, what happens. But now it's this oh, is wrong. more like a, a, a wheel on a spoke, and everything's laid out and kind of with the, with the exhibit area we where we are where we are now is kind of the center of everything, and it all wraps around us, and it makes it really easy to walk around and get around. I, I'm not going to comment on the, the, the spoken wheel concept. <laughs> um, we're, we're going to agree to disagree. That's right. But one of the, one of the things that um, uh, you, you, is remarkable or is, 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 is something that should, can be commented on about Sun and Fun is they've expanded the grounds, the effective grounds. Um, going, but we're kind of in front of the creek that runs uh, uh, east-west through the grounds. And uh, behind us, across the creek, is space that um, wasn't wasn't utilized to its fullest extent in, in past years. Just recently, the last couple of three years, uh, they've come in with the LSA Mall, for example. And there's, uh, I don't know, I'm going to pick a wild number, uh, double digits anyway, of... Uh, of uh, LSA manufacturers. Yeah, they're really packed in up there. Yeah, there's a lot of airplanes yeah, in a relatively show, small area. Yeah, showing their aircraft and... Uh, uh, you know, presenting that that vibrant uh, new uh, segment of the industry. Uh, beyond that, it used to be all parking. Well, it's not parking anymore. It's it's exhibit space, or it's forum space, or something like that. And that just shows the growth of the uh, of the event. Yeah, yeah. You may hear in the uh, background uh, airplanes flying by. These are the, some of the afternoon departures, uh, people who are leaving for the day now and uh, taking off uh, from the right to the left in front of us. Uh, I guess that's what. That's a northbound departure, right? No, uh, uh, westbound. That's west. That's west. I'm Next. getting to the navigation part of my flight training anytime now, so it'll be all we're, right. We're, we're working with Jack on identifying which direction the sun right. comes up and goes <laughs> down. Uh, well, a little bit later on, uh, both Amy Lobota and James Winbrandt are around, and they're going to be joining us uh, up here on the deck in a little bit. But uh, first, we want to invite a new friend, well, an old friend, but a new uh, comer to the podcast who's going to join us, is joining us, sitting with us here. Uh, I, I'm going to take the, I'm at, at the risk of something, I'm going to introduce him to you as Mr. Amy Lobota is here. <laughs> Close enough. You're going to get hurt for that. <laughs> Barry Mars is here. We uh, Barry Whoever's paying, paying the bills, who gets announced first? We've actually. been We've been using your name in vain for years now as we talk to Amy and various stories she's told us. So it's a real thrill to have you join us on the podcast. You you got you are a longtime aviator. Yeah, tell us a little bit about uh, your background in aviation. How did you get started? What what what's you know whose fault is it? He started out as a child. Actually, it was an old girlfriend. She uh, came back into town, and I had just uh, got divorced and was looking for a new diversion. And she was into skydiving. And that's how I got into flying airplanes, by jumping out of them. Really? Okay. I had uh, 250 takeoffs. I never, ever landed in any airplane. And uh -huh. I kind of decided to see what the other end of it was like, and that's what got me into doing that. So you didn't start flying w till well into adulthood? I was 30 years old before I'd been in any airplane at all. It, is it unusual then that you ended up with the airlines? Well, I was very fortunate. I hit the wave at a very good time and I positioned myself to where I was able to take advantage of that uh, when, when I started my flight training it was a situation like now things were in regression um, there, there wasn't a lot of movement and then B scale came along and there was a sucking sound out of corporate and I was in corporate at that time and I was just on the river and it just sucked me with it so how long did you fly for the airlines uh, 22 years yep 
And now you're you're retired from the airlines now, yep. right? Yeah. Yeah, I quit a year and a half ago. But you're still very active in flying. You very guys own so. about 27 airplanes down there, right? <laughs> How many airplanes do you have right now? Well, we're down to two now. We just got rid of the 182. Oh, you did got get an rid of RV10 right. and a uh, Kit Fox. Yeah. But uh, I'm a I'm a tech advisor for EAA, and I've been a chapter president. And what I'm chapter a, number are you with? Um, I'm in 565 out of Port Charlotte. Port okay. Charlotte. Yep. And I'm an AMP, an ATP, and. Um, I'm working with a fellow with the Sonics. We're getting ready to test fly it. And I just got my CFI reinstated, so I'm doing CFI work. Do you cook okay. and do dishes and windows? I do. I don't do a lot of windows, but I do cook. And uh, I haven't known to throw a dish in a dishwasher or two. So how many airplanes have you built over the years? Just two. The two. An RV-10 and a uh, Kit Fox. Kit Fox. I've worked on quite a few other ones. Uh, yep. Plastic and Velocities, Lance Airs. Um, why did you pick those two to be the ones that you built for yourself? I did, and Amy did. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. That's the way it should be. So which one was the worst of our two ideas there? Actually, they were both very good. They both fitted our, our wants and needs at the time very well. She was working for Flying Magazine at the time of the Kit Fox, and she went out to Naphtha and flew the Kit Fox and said, we've got to have one of these things. And I've always had a champ or a cub or something, either either mine or available to me, and the Kit Fox was a great uh, great uh, fit for what we were doing at the time. And, now, how uh, long ago did you build that one? 93. Okay, a while ago. All right. And, and how yeah. long did it take? Was it? It was a year. Yeah. It was a year. Pretty good, solid work. I was, uh, I was flying international, so I had a lot of time off, so I could work on it, you know, a week or two at a time. And uh, she helped me out a lot by keeping the kids out of the... Uh, you know, out of the garage. I actually built it in a two-car garage when we lived in town. Yeah. And at that time, I kept it there. And it's got a swing wing, and I had a little tow bar, and I'd actually tow it to the airport, unveil it, you know, unfurl the wings, and away we uh -huh. go. So there's this period of your life where you're flying a Kit Fox sometimes, and what what equipment were you flying for the airline? Seven six. So big airplanes. So a Boeing seven sixty seven. So what's the? How do you compare? <laughs> is it possible to compare these two? Oh, absolutely. They all, you know, it's like cars. I mean, it's they like, all fly. You know, yeah, they all have their own uh, personality and their own fun. Actually, the small airplanes I really enjoy, just in a pure sense of flying enjoyment, much more than the big stuff. The big stuff is more of a numbers game and a a uh, uh, systems management. Yeah, right, right. Energy management, big time. But there's also a precision in that kind of flying that doesn't come in to flying little airplanes, but you still have to be precise enough not to crash into the ground. Uh -huh. Yeah. And then so a bunch of years later, you decided to build the uh, the RV-10. Right. We were looking for another airplane to fit the... We, we had a 210, and Amy tried to make it into a, uh, <laughs> a float plane, and that didn't work real well. So, we, we uh, talked about that one episode. Yeah, yeah, you know. We understand and, uh, it floated briefly. I right. was going to torment her about that, but you beat me to it. The Very landings good. are okay. The takeoffs are really difficult. Well, she got to log it, you know, so, you know, it all worked out. <laughs> um, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm it's that really count double as a seaplane landing? I'm sorry? Does that count as a seaplane landing? I think so. She's got the rating. <laughs> <laughs> We really wanted, you know, the, the, I'm not really a, a big plastic airplane guy fan. I mean, I like what they do, but I don't, I don't like the medium as far as working in it. So I really wasn't interested in building a Glass Star or a Lancer. Plus, we like to carry a lot of stuff. So we needed something that would carry a lot of stuff and, you know, still be a metal airplane and, and that kind of stuff. And there really wasn't anything out on the market until the 10 came along. And when the 10 came along, we were right in that niche thing of the 182 is a great airplane, but... 
if you have a 29 headwind, it's like, uh, yeah. you know, hauling the barge down the canal. Yeah. Now, for people listening who might not be familiar, can we, let's kind of briefly describe these two airplanes. A Kit Fox is a, uh, well, you, you describe it, it for us. I call it my 90s Cub. You yeah, know, okay. it does so everything an old Cub used to do. It's tail a side-by-side, side, tail dragger. Pipe and fabric kind right, of. Right, uh, right. Tube and fabric. It started out with a 582 engine in it, Rotex 582, and I upgraded that to a uh, Jabiru. Um, to uh, 2200 in it now. Amy seems to like that engine. It's a very nice engine. It's just a little baby Lycoming. You know, it's a flat, uh, air-cooled, direct drive. Uh, That's a what, an 85 horse? 80 horse, yeah. 80 I think, horse. Yeah, somewhere yeah. in there. So it's got two seats. Two seats, really side lift by side. Two, really lift two people? And, oh, it, it will carry its weight. Okay. It wow. weighs 600, and its gross is 1,200. Oh, okay. So it's one of the few airplanes out there. That will actually carry its weight. It's it's an incredible platform. And then how and fast does it cruise, and how much gas does it use? Oh, probably around now with the new gear on it, maybe about ninety-five miles, and uh, you know maybe four and a half, five gallons an hour, okay. depending where the prop set. Yep. I got I got a climb prop on it, so that burns a little bit more at cruise. And now the RV10. Describe that airplane for us. That's a the RV10 is our traveling machine. Yeah. You know, it's uh, low wing metal. It's a low wing metal. I've got it set up for uh, pretty good uh, hard IFR. I've got a dual uh, Grand Rapids box in it, which uh, separate AHARs and mags. Uh, True Track Autopilot with its own built-in uh, attitude reference system. Uh, dual alternators, dual batteries. So it, it, it's a pretty competent uh, IFR machine. Cruise about 170 uh, knots on about 15 gallons an hour yeah. total. And four seats? Four seats, yes. Yep. Four roomy seats. Yep. Big room inside. It's it's a nice airplane um, and finished very well. That's right. You've actually seen their airplane. I, I've, I've seen it. I, the I've, not, I've not gone for a ride in it, but I've seen it up close and personal. Uh, they did a very good job. Hats off to Barry on that. Yeah. For sure. Now, which fun. one's in town? That is that the one that's? No, I brought the Kit Fox. You did? Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's I want to see that one, too. So, uh, yeah. So you've been involved over the years in a lot, as I understand it, a lot of uh, projects, uh, restoration projects, building projects, and that's. Are there any that stick out in your mind? Which ones were particularly fun or adventurous or disastrous? Or oh, I I spent a little time on a Sagawing Beach out in California, which was just magic. You know, just seeing that thing every day and and doing and working on it. Unfortunately, the gentleman that owned it after six year restoration on the first flight. Rolled it up in a ball. Short runway, crosswind, didn't have any previous. That's just got to, I mean, I hope, I don't know, it's got to break your heart. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we all told him, but, you know, he's he's an older gentleman, and he was going to do it his way, and he did. But, uh, you know, he walked away from it and went, eh, so what, you know. All right. But luckily there was no blood spilled. That's good. Good landing, but not a great landing. Yeah, exactly, you know. and But it just shows you one of the real dark side of the experimental and the building thing is guys get a lot of time in building but they don't necessarily stay current in what they're wanting to be flying so you really need to have both sides of that equation covered the building side and the flying side Mm -hmm. so it's very and very important to get current when you especially in the testing phase because you know anything can happen in the testing phase and you just have to be ready for everything so if you're not ready for the basics, you can't be ready for, you know, the other things that possibly uh, That's might. why they call them test flight programs. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Other projects you've been involved with over the years that are stick out in your mind? Um, nothing, you know. Used to do a lot of work on threes. I love threes. 
Actually, a DC-3 was the first airplane I ever flew. When I was at the... Flew like an, as pilot in command? No, just as... You know, they'd they throw me up in the right seat. Or, as a... Yeah, okay. Uh -huh. on, a, on a maintenance flight or something. What was that like? It was like flying a big truck around, but it, it was such a classic aircraft. And, you know, and at that point, I really didn't understand aviation at all, but I knew that this was a pretty special thing because most guys were flying these little single-engine thing, yeah, and here I'm uh -huh. flying this you, thing around. The you, you understand aviation now? Can you explain it to us a little bit? <laughs> our friend yes. Steve Tupper. Open your a, wallet. <laughs> our, our friend Steve Tupper went through uh, Dan Greider's uh, DC-3 program, and uh, he's after his first time ta even just taxiing the DC-3, he described it as uh, taxiing an airplane, like taxiing an airplane from your second-story bedroom window. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, it's, you're sitting uh, up you're, there. You're way up in the air like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Hey, a Amy's right over there. Come on over, Amy. Yellow. Let's, let's make sure they can hear you. They can hear you? All right, good. I had to listen to everything he said just in case you asked me. And the truth-lie ratio was? Yeah, pretty close. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so how are you? How are you doing? Wonderful. This has been a really special day for me because I got to do different things at this show than I have in years past. I, I know you're yet another one of these folks wandering around doing video. We saw you on uh, Aeronet, uh, Aeronet News TV recently. Yes, recently. yes. That was, kind that of was recent. Uh, that was something different. Yeah. And, oh, uh, okay. I'm doing like some work for FAA Production Studios That's here right, yeah. at the show. And they've been kind enough to, to say, we, we need to put you uh, out there to do some uh, Flightline Internet radio and also some um, video for what they're doing live yeah. here at the show. That's great. We're having That's a great, great time. And then, I, and then I recruited Will and Rico <laughs> to help with... <laughs> Yeah, there they are. Will Hawkins. We weren't going to plug any of the other podcasts yeah, tonight. Yeah, you blew yeah, it right there. I'm All right, sorry I've blown it. But in any case, they were kind enough to uh, contribute some video this afternoon of uh, Sun and Fun Today and also of uh, Terrafugia. So we oh, had yeah, a great okay. time over there uh -huh. talking to them about their uh, roadable aircraft. So. That's right. No, I didn't know where to watch for the Terrafugia. I wasn't sure whether to watch the road coming in or the runway coming in yeah well it's going to be like that forever so just get used to it <laughs> <laughs> those are some of the things you've seen you seen anything else that's interesting I and mean, we've only only been here a day but i've only been here a day so you know you're quizzing yeah. me man you're yeah, putting me yeah. on the hot seat yeah so but i did see something interesting this What's morning that? you know i got to fly the avidine system nine. Oh, okay and i gotta that. tell you what'd you think it took me 20 seconds to put in a flight plan. Yeah, it's the most instinctive thing I've ever seen. Nothing's nested. It's all right there. Okay. Rockers and tabs and the checklist. And it was the easiest Cirrus I've flown in a long, long time. Well, they're invited to come over, and they were saying that they were going to try to have somebody over here in about a half hour, and we're, we're going to pump their brain more about it exactly. when that happens. But oh, definitely. The uh, the uh, this system clearly is a uh, a big step ahead, and, and and we hope to see it not only as a replacement system, but as an OEM system with some of the other manufacturers soon. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely look forward to that. What else is going on? What have you, uh, you, you so you haven't had chance much chance to wander around the grounds here? Not as much as I'd like to yet, but I think tomorrow morning we'll change that a little bit. Uh huh. Wanted to jump in here and make a, we got a couple of an, uh, announcements about the podcast that we wanted to make while we're here this week, and uh, we're very excited about these things. And uh, 
they're they're kind of been coming along for a while now, and uh, we feel like they've reached the point now where, well, as much as anything, I figure if I announce it, then I have to finish it. See, so, uh, but uh, so so here's the deal. We it's it's bizarre and flattering and odd that we have all these listeners, and often we we hear this story repeatedly, which is a new listener comes to the podcast and goes back and starts listening to all the old episodes. They listen to episodes starting with number one, and they kind of wade their way all the, through those old ones, and that's incredibly gratifying and flattering. But I just it must be an ordeal. <laughs> so what what it occurred to me to do, uh, it, but there certainly I I think there is in fact a lot of good stuff back in those old episodes. Um, maybe not all the way back to number one, but I mean, Amy, you're a terrific example. The story that you told us about your ditching is an awesome story, both an entertaining story and an incredibly in, instructive story as well. Um, well, I hope so. Yeah, and so there are lots of highlights like that, and it occurred to us to maybe make them a little bit more approachable for listeners, so they don't have to go back and listen to all the old episodes and wade through all the old show notes to find good ones. So what we're in the process of doing right now is basically chopping up all the old episodes into the good parts. Uh, we're calling it the, uh, the UCAP Online Archives is the current name of it, and basically we're going to have lots and lots of highlights from past episodes. So uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks we're going to actually launch this on the website, uh, it, uh, but because we just decided there had to be a better way. So we're chopping up all the best parts of the entire UCAP collection uh, into bite-sized pieces so that it'll be easy to explore them and find all the best parts. So it'll be great taste and less filling. Exactly, exactly. Um, The archive will feature highlights from all of the first 130 episodes of Uncontrolled Airspace and more. We're going to be continuing to pull highlights out of new episodes as, as time goes on. Uh, the uh, all these highlights will be browsable and searchable and linkable and embeddable. So if you want to share them with your friends, you can do that. Uh, some of the examples of uh, uh, some of the clips that we're going to initially roll out, we're going to start with some of the early episodes and have um, and and highlights over the years, and eventually we'll have highlights from all the episodes. But some of the things I mentioned, Amy's ditching adventure, um, Barry Valentine led us into a, a great conversation uh, at one of the Oshkoshes where he talked about. Uh, he said everybody has to have a fast airplane, a slow airplane and an upside down airplane and that was a great conversation uh we're gonna have probably have some fun clips things like uh, jeb raving about one thing or dave singing about another thing yeah that's right yeah oh ranting oh dave I mean, as singing opposed to just now. us raving and maybe even some uh, embarrassing outtakes so this will be the uh what's that currently called the ucap online archives uh it'll appear on the homepage of the website at some point in the next couple of weeks we hope you keep that, an eye out for that is that the next couple of weeks in calendar time or jack time That'll be at uncontrolledairspace.com. I take a lot of grief from listeners from time to time about how sometimes I just plain ignore Dave. And, and it's good that you do because yeah. we like to think that you earned it. Yeah. So, so that's one exciting thing that's going on here. Um, I was wandering around the grounds, or I, and I've only had a little bit of time to, uh, to like, like Jeb, we just arrived, and, and I actually was uh, doing some other errands as well, so I had even less time to wander the grounds. But a couple of interesting things I saw. I mentioned on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that one of the things I want to look at here is, uh, is, is the LSA fleet, um, given that I've become an LSA pilot, or, or I happen to be flying an LSA this past winter. So I was wandering around looking at a couple of interesting things. I've talked on the podcast about the Valor. Um, uh, LSA that uh, I'm looking forward to flying out of Southern Maine Aviation, and I've mentioned that they're getting ready to do a a, a version of that on floats, and they actually have that. They call it's called a Cape Town, and they're showing it here. I was talking to uh, the rep uh, earlier today. 
Uh, I'm told that since I've been traveling, uh, the uh, the float ver- float equipped version has been delivered to Southern Maine Aviation. It's up there now uh, on display. It's not for rent yet, but uh, it is available uh, to to uh, put your hands on. So that'll be kind of fun. Um, and uh, I'm I'm going to go back and take a little bit closer look at it. But uh, it's basically a Valor uh, on Amphib floats. And so you'd uh, be the unsinkable Jack Hot. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I can I just got this whole worked out well, in my head because my family landing, anyway. my family has a house on a lake there in New Hampshire <laughs> and I'm gonna like fly in there and I'm gonna land on the lake and taxi up to the front front you know the beach. W- whatever and, uh, you do, don't tow a skier behind. We, we met a guy earlier uh, this evening who was re- 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 relating to us a sad sad tale. Um, he was he was arrested by um, I don't know a local sheriff or something like that on some lake near Lakeland. For towing a water skier, um, the the punchline I guess is that he was towing the water skier with a Lake 250 Buccaneer, <laughs> which apparently is specifically illegal in the state of Florida. You can't tow someone with an airplane, which I thought you were going to say it's prohibited by the FAR. No, there's no, no, there's no, no FAR there's, there's against no it. FAR. Yeah, why would That's the FAA right. go there? Uh, I yeah. guess, yeah. Um, but I'm just kind of shell shocked that. Uh, any state would go so far as to prohibit just the physical act of towing <laughs> right. a, a water skier. Now, the water skier was fine. There's no issues with the water skier. How about... But because he was using an airplane, and, uh, and it, it was not registered, out. it was this, that, and the other thing. If he didn't he, have an air horn or something like, you know. <laughs> and if he had just, just told the absurd. sheriff that he was going to take off, he was planning on flying, then they would have considered the lake right. an airplane. Right. Oh. But since he told them he really didn't intend to take off, he was just towing the skier, they said, oh, well, in that case, you're a boat, and you've got to meet all the boating regulations, which he didn't. And, of course, he was the, the, the buccaneer is of such a size yeah. that he got into some kind of a regulation, and they just started throwing fines at him. So yeah. Yeah. what so. can you do? Um, but wait a minute. Now, I know you can go to a resort. I've never done this. I'm not sure if I ever would. But you can go to resorts and get towed on a, on a kite behind a boat. Behind a boat. So why don't we just attach that to the Buccaneer, and then they can take off? Be like like a glider tow this kind of thing. This be a ground launch like Buccaneer. Fun. You think? Yeah. So you're going to try it. Well, no, I didn't say that. I said it sounds like Dave will do it. Dave will do it. Dave will do anything. Dave was towing hang, towing up in hang gliders behind motor boats a few years ago. Right, but did you ever tow a hang glider behind an ultralight? Yes, no? done that too. How did I know that would be? No, well, no, no. Did you ever tow a hang glider or an ultralight behind a boat? Towed the hang glider behind a boat. Towed the hang glider behind an ultralight. And towed a hang glider behind a Volkswagen. What about the Lake Buccaneer? Uh, wrong speed range. Okay. So, so you flew in. You flew in in the Kit Fox. Yep. Uh, did you fly in uh, when? Today? Yeah, this morning. Come in, you came in on the procedure? Yeah, 8.30. How did it go? Real smooth. There wasn't anybody out there. Oh, yeah? Okay. Just cool. came right in. Right so you didn't the, have to circle the lake? No, nah, right the, to the yeah. green dot and away we went. Yeah. Ask them about the legs. Tell, okay. The legs? Tell us about the legs. Oh, the legs. You got oh, new yeah. legs. Oh, yeah. I put new landing gear on the aircraft. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, to have the original you know, Kit Fox gear on it, put spring gear on it. Uh, our girls are wanting to fly this summer, and we thought it would be better to beef it up a little bit. Uh, the right. standard gear has little problems with side loads on it and stuff. So, But uh-huh. he's been handling a guy that could only land a 767. <laughs> Why should they be a problem? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, Hey, James. 
Come on over, James. James Winbrand is also here. He's been hanging out for a little bit, chatting uh, over on the fringes here. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's so wonderful to be back here and see aviation is alive, and we'll find out how well it is, but we know it's flying. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. How long have you been in town? I got in uh, this afternoon. Oh, okay. So you've really been here just for a very yes. short time. Yeah. So what are, what are you looking forward to here? What are you, are you, I'm guessing you haven't had a chance to get around too much and see no, things. No, I haven't. I'm really looking forward to seeing signs of vitality. I think it's really atrocious what's been happening in terms of the attacks on general aviation from the business end of it down to just oh, the entropy. Well, let's of, not go into the ugly territory. <laughs> well, he asked, so I'm telling it like it is. You're, you're all the rage of the UCAP forums right now because they discovered your article in, what was it, Forbes magazine? or uh, uh, Well, Barron's. Barron's, just, excuse Barons. me. It was one of those. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Oh, yeah, they found you. They, they, <laughs> you they, cannot hide from this crew. <laughs> they found you and uh, and put links to it in the forums. Oh, and they're, cool. They're, Wonderful. They're, That's... They're, saying, they're saying, you know, go James, promote you aviation. You fly, yeah. but you can't hide. Yeah, that's well, right. I will tell you, uh, frankly, it was not one of the articles I was pleased to write because it had to do a lot with the bargains. Uh, Barons wanted a really kind of down and dirty look at, okay, where are the bargains and everything from charter to buying new airplanes? How, what are the discounts and the deals you can get? And I wasn't happy to kind of have to present that, yes, things are tough, and so it's sort of a market. You can go out and kind of cut whatever deal you want. That's how bad it is. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're I should explain that we're actually kind of maneuvering. We're posing here. We're having our picture taken. Ben Sclair of, uh, of uh, Sun and Fun Today wandered by to say hello. And, Thank uh, you, Ben. And General Aviation News. And General Aviation where, News, of course. Uh, we're all many wearing of us our have Sun and Fun hats. We've spent uh, yeah, many... Happy hours of employment. Uh, GA News, a great, a great uh, publication, and, and uh, they've done some cool things to their website recently. So, uh, um, hey Ben, D- Dave's you got drinking a problem. He's wringing its ugly head here. Two minutes. What's that? Two hey, minutes. Half a minute. Half a minute. Yes. Hi. How you doing? Welcome to Uncontrolled Airspace. I, I, was, I just wanted. It suddenly occurred to me to talk a little bit about the website uh, and some of the cool things you're doing on the website now. Give us uh, two minutes on uh, what you guys' goals are and what you're doing uh, with the uh, online version. Simply put, we're trying to find all the news that most of the aviation media doesn't cover, the local Daily Bugle does, and find it and share it with those of us who like to think we know a thing or two about aviation. And you're putting a web report out every day from here, aren't you? Yeah. 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 So you're doing some good stuff. As as well as the paper show daily that you're doing here at the show. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you do in your free time? Ben's Drink one of these folks who runs around like a chicken with his head cut off here. you got, got way too many d- tasks. You know, he, Before he, you go, he, tell us the uh, URL the right of the website. Answer. What he does in his free time. Drink That's right. beer. That's Drink beer. <laughs> tell us uh, the URL of the website. GeneralAviationNews.com. Okay, Very terrific. That's easy. Thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. Back to work. Enjoy. Thank you, Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben. And while we're uh, just, just uh, taking a break here, kind of, sort of, I'd just like to uh, uh, recognize a good friend of mine, Lee Stikeleather, Sitting over here on the bench, we've talked about Lee on the podcast. We've uh, talked about Lee several times. Lee is uh, not only a good close friend, but uh, he's also the guy who uh, works on my airplane and uh, keeps me in line when I tackle tackle projects uh, that are way over my head. So uh, I just want to bends it. Lee fixes it. That's right. Like so many people, uh, Lee is wandering around carrying spare parts that he's found, and uh, he's made two trips to the car that I know of. Uh, three trips um, <laughs> to carry parts and uh, tools and, and assorted other accoutrements back to the car so we don't have to carry them around all day. Yeah. Yep. So, James, what else? 
So you've been. You've I been... had to drive. Uh, you don't really? want to hear all the details, but working on the third replacement fuel pump that they're trying to kind of get me back in the air, and I've, it's just been. Uh, that doesn't sound not good. fun. That's tragic. You had to drive. I had to drive. Man, well, it's it's. I got. I can beat you on that. I had. I uh, with all due respect, I had to take the airlines. <laughs> so human uh, mailing too is not a civilized mode of travel. I took Jeb's favorite airline, Delta. Delta, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, keep taking them. I still have a health plan they have to support. Yeah, okay. you know, <laughs> we were talking, uh, or you folks were talking earlier about sort of the festivities that go on in the parties, and we were just over at one at uh, Avidine. Yeah. We were talking about that. Yep, and. Uh, Congratulations to them. Today they received certification, TSO certification for the unit. And uh, I had an opportunity to fly the Integra Release 9, uh, a Cirrus equipped with it a couple of months ago. And you I and Amy you, are plugged in, huh? It's yeah, uh, a you. wonderful unit, uh, very intuitive, very easy to use, very helpful. You can tell that in critical situations when other units you might be like okay what do I hit now and oh my god I can't deal with this in this critical flight phase this actually is a tremendous help everything is laid out in front of you it's uh, uh, I think a great advance and yeah. I think uh, th good things are going to happen for that system yeah. Yeah. any other products you're looking forward to here that you've heard about uh... Uh, I'm going to see some folks that uh, have a what they call a virtual head up display and I don't know all the details, but uh, it's apparently it's, is virtual. Is yeah. So that's part of the curiosity. It's so like virtual the, squared. So is that for all the virtual heads out there? Yeah, I know. <laughs> really. So, uh, can, do you know the name of the manufacturer? It, it is called uh, Virtual Head Up. I think is uh, oh, okay. uh -huh. Virtual Head Up, and I'm going to. I've spoken to the the inventor and the person who's behind the company, and I'm looking forward to kind of seeing it. And seeing how this is going to play out on a, a GA kind of piston end aircraft, we've all seen and heard, or at least heard about them in some of the more advanced and more high-priced general aviation turbines. So I'm curious to see what this would look like in yeah. a, a GA installation. Now, this is not a flying uh, flying system at this point. It's a, a ground. Okay. Based mock-up, but he intends to have it flying soon, and I'm going to find out all about it. Yeah. Yep. Um, how long have you been coming to Sun and Fun? Oh uh, boy, uh, must have been. What was the first year we did the the show with GAN? Do you know? When, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm asking my my memory bank here, Dave Higdon. Well, man, if you're that shows you how Dave, bad that shows you how bad I am. General Aviation General Aviation News started doing a daily here in 1984. Okay, I wasn't and there did then. it briefly. Yeah. Then they left and came back, right? right? Well, Southern Aviator picked it up, and then they bought Southern Aviator, and they took over the daily at that point. Uh, GA News started the daily at Oshkosh in 1994. And that's about when we started doing it down here with them, right? Uh, I couldn't tell you for sure. So it's been at least... A decade, Jack. At least a decade. A decade, and uh, you know it's. Do you come? You come every year, but you come every, every year, year because it's business as much as anything. Would you come anyways? Well, I mean, you know, so much of my. It's hard to separate. My life is all. You know, it's business and pleasure wrapped up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm sure I would be here one way or another, no matter what. Uh huh. Yeah. As evidenced by the fact that I drove here today. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> You're even willing to do that. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. Uh huh. 
darn those fuel pumps anyway. Yeah. That's right. But I hear there are some other changes on the other side of the field. I understand the restaurant is no longer on the other side of the field. There's been some consolidation uh, it, of the FBOs. Or it's gone. It's gone. Oh, okay. There's been some consolidation. We never do get a chance to eat that. What was that dish that some listeners were trying to turn us on to that was kind of odd here? I, I don't um, recall. I, I remember I wanna say, the discussion. I want to say dolphin fingers, but that's not right, and and is quite frankly wrong. Um, but uh, <laughs> everybody it, knows dolphins don't have hands. Is that right? Dolphin fingers. Dolphin fingers. Dave Schalbetter is telling us it was dolphin fingers, and he would know. Living in South Florida, yeah. I can tell you that when they say they're serving dolphin, they're serving mahi mahi. Right. Yeah, that's right. Or pompano. Which is pump? No, it's not pompano. Oh no, pompano. No, it's not pompano at all. No. Dolphin is—it's not the mammal flipper, right? The porpoise, although they both go by dolphin and porpoise. Uh-huh. But however, when they say they're serving dolphin, it is a very, very good fish. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's got sense. the like the bowhead. Right. Yeah. We got we got some listeners out in the audience nodding in agreement here. Yeah. So yeah. Is that what it was? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Way to go. Yeah. Thank you, Tony. You guys, are you are you guys are you guys impressed? Your two fans showed up. <laughs> very well. We got both of them. One hundred percent of the fan base is here. There you go. <laughs> and, he, and, and and they came before the check cleared. So yeah. that's right. Wait, well, I can't say that because David Allen over here of the uh, pilots' flight log or pilots' flight pod log is is a huge fan, and that didn't mute. <laughs> well, that's another Dave thing. Has a, Dave has a uh, a, a beep sound. Uh, Dave Schalbetter has apparently. This is what you telling me this story, right? Yeah, he has a beep sound on his computer. The belch that Dave Pigden <laughs> did on the podcast about so, a month ago. Th- this is what happens when people publish free for the download. I'll tell you, audio editing software. I just had a brainstorm. This should be the first UCAP product. All right, we're going to make a Dave Belch ringtone. All right, <laughs> I will. I will step in here and tell you that we're in the studio. Getting ready for Sun and Fun. It's a very stressful time prepping for Sun and Fun because we've got hours, hundreds of hours of stuff that has to be edited. And David Allen with the Pilot's Flight Podlog has volunteered with us this year, and he's stellar, stellar job. I mean, he's done a fantastic job for us. We're sitting here in the studio, and we're all stressed out. I'm on one end of the studio, and Dave's on the other end. I said, hey, Dave, you recognize this? And I clicked on the sound, <laughs> and you hear... And Dave bursts out laughing and says, that didn't mute. <laughs> and this morning, and this morning, I'm in the studio. Dave's over, buried, got his face on the computer. He's buried in the computer. And I click the clip again because I've got it saved on my desktop. <laughs> I, 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 I know where you sleep. You won't live to see the morning. <laughs> and I, I click on. I've I never click ever on seen it. Higdon embarrassed before. There we, he is. <laughs> we've got we've got fifteen people in the studio this morning trying to get their interview assignments from me and everything else. And you hear, burp, <laughs> and you see David Allen on the other side of the studio bursting out laughing. And everybody's looking at me and looking at David and going, "If you have to ask, you wouldn't understand." That's right. That's right. The things we have to put up with. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, the other another thing I found notable. I can't write around, a check uh, big enough to stop this. No, no, no. <laughs> we're we're way past money. It's, it's okay. Oh man, so, it's part but of the If UK- it turns into a ringtone, does that mean I get royalties? It was, sure. Yeah, oh, of yeah. course not. Yeah, yeah. So um, another thing I was uh, 
as I was wandering around, I, I kind of did a little quick race around the grounds to get a feeling for what was going on. And uh, again, uh, LSAs being a big thing that, uh, that on my radar this year, uh, I wandered over into the uh, near the LSA. Yeah. And if we can get Dan over here, Dan. Yeah. You want to come on over and join us? Can you give him well, with an LSA discussion, I would say so Dan is I was order. wandering. I was wandering around over towards the LSA Mall, and uh, I wandered up to... It's actually not in the LSA Mall, but near the edge of the LSA. In that in that exhibit area over there is the GoBosch exhibit, and I've been flying the GoBosch, so I wanted to wander over and kind of show off for the sales folks that are over there. And so I'm wandering up to this airplane, and it uh, and it turns out I wandered up not to the one I've been flying, which is the GoBosch 700, but it's the GoBosch 800. So I'm looking at it, kind of looking what's different and what's going on. And the sales rep wanders over, and she starts, you know, I'm saying, what's the difference? And she starts to describe this to me. And as she's talking, I'm going, wait a minute, something odd is going on here. I, wait a minute, this voice is familiar. And I'm looking more closely, and I suddenly realize that the woman who's now giving me the sales pitch on the GoBosh is one of the CFIs at Southern Maine Aviation, where I've been flying up in oh, Maine. Oh, small world. They are, as I've said in the past, um, a, a GoBosh dealer up there. And they're down here doing duty, uh, uh, telling people about GoBots. Uh, 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 Sue and John, both CFIs. Sue's one of the, uh, as I said, one of the CFIs that I know from there. John was the backup uh, 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 instrument school, ground school stu- uh, instructor that I just uh, attended. And they're up there. The funny part is they're all wearing different, you know, I was teasing, giving them a hard time. They're wearing different gang colors now. You know, they, Usually I see them wearing their southern Maine shirts, you know, and... And you know the the gray with the their logo, and so I recognize them. Now they're wearing black gobosh, you know, colors, and so I, I didn't recognize them at first. But uh, well, but it's, it's interesting you mentioned the gobosh. Um, we'll we'll talk about this a little bit later. But um, we had this over this past weekend, the Great Southeast United States UCAP meetup. And, and, and uh, you know what? It very nearly lived up to all this hype that you... It, it uh, very nearly lived up to all the hype. I'm, I'm still in, in a state of shock at the outturn and everybody who turned out for this. But one of, the, one of the listeners who turned up is a gentleman by the name of Chuck Gerlock. I'm sure I just butchered the pronunciation of his last name. But he has his own little uh, um, flight instruction business um, based out of Punta Gorda, Florida. Which is called? Up Chuck Aviation. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Which you got, you got to give him an A for effort, and, and really nice guy. But we we kind of made a tentative date here the next couple of three weeks to get me in a go box. Yeah, that'd be cool. So I'll I'll report back to you. We can I, compare notes. I want to I want to hear what your reaction to it is because uh, although I in general enjoyed it a lot, there were a couple things that were notable to me, and yeah. uh, I want to see if someone with much more experience with many more different aircraft. Uh, no, well, okay. You can you can wave your hand if you want, but you are and well, you do. Right. And uh, hey, joining us on the deck right now is a, a good old, longtime friend of the podcast, uh, Dan Johnson's here. Hi, Dan. How are you? Glad to be with you, clowns, once again. Yeah. Hey, Dan. Dan, of course, is Bring is, is, the, is the, the LSA guy. We're here. Mr. Light Sport Aircraft uh, is uh, uh, wandering around. I was actually up there, but you were busy chatting with all your uh, uh, you know, b- various uh, potential customers and whatnot, and so I didn't want to bother you. But the LSA Mall looks cool this year. It's very, very densely populated. There's a lot of airplanes up there. We are stuffed full of bright little Light Sport Aircraft once again. Glad to have them all. Yeah. And uh, I can tell you from just having walked over there and interviewed many of them, they all said opening day traffic was excellent yeah. in their opinion. So I don't know if that's true elsewhere on the field, but uh, certainly a good sign. We had a great Sebring in January. Uh, surprised everybody in the midst of a big economic downturn. We were delighted to have such a good turnout there and a lot of airplanes sold and the usual good stuff. I've just gotten back from the aero show in Germany. That was good. 
uh, and strong in various ways. So uh, we had my fingers crossed tightly that Sun and Fun would do well as well. And without five inches of rain to start off like we did last year, um, life is good. That's right. I haven't seen nearly as many boats being used for local transportation as last year. So. That was that, a that's a plus. We were my heart went out to the organizers last year to start off with all that rain. Oh, my goodness. We were able to get to our parking space without having to use chire chains, so that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, it was it was different here this year. It's it's actually dusty. It's almost dry yeah. this year. But it's, it's great weather. It's, it's, uh, it, oh, Amy really is telling me it's very dry. Yeah. Yeah. It is very dry. Yeah. Actually, we're, we're, we're technically drought right now. Yeah, oh, really? Okay, yeah. So... I know you're 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 an ambassador for the entire field of light sport aircraft, but what's some of the news coming out of that that area this year? What's what's uh, notable in in the LSA arena? Well, probably the most significant is we're coming up on number 100. We just hit number 97, and that number means the number of models that have been approved under the ASTM standard. So we just got number 97. That's an American brand, the Kit Fox. Long-storied airplane, 4,500 airplanes flying, just got number 97. We were just talking about kit foxes a little bit earlier. Uh, Amy and Barry built one years ago and been flying it for, what would you say, 15 years? 93. Yeah. Yeah. 93, yeah. Well, it's been around a long time. So, of course, that all stems from Dean Wilson's original design, and and, uh, there's a bunch of those that uh, uh, are worth having a look at these days. We've got three of them in the LSA segment alone before kit fox got there. Uh, but anyway, that's one of them. Another one's a homebrewed new design called the Lightning. Uh, this is from the guys that have been assembling the Jabiru airplane, and they've had quite a good run, moved up nicely in market share, and actually have been making money the last few months. That's a surprise story in aviation. That's, that's a good story. But the uh, LS-1 just got its approval uh, less than a week ago, so it's uh, front and center out on the LSA mall there, and it's looking great. And, Dan, are we seeing people start out in LSAs and progress, or are we seeing people come into LSAs who are giving up their private pilot's license for one reason or another and downsizing a little bit? Well, I like to use a new term that I decided to coin called fun-sizing instead of downsizing. Uh, sure. Because you're not really moving down, you're moving to something else. But that aside, uh, yeah, it's still a lot of people doing that. And, uh, 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 and I would but suggest there's plenty there's of new ones coming in, though, yeah. and there's a, there's a dichotomy. And the in, one of the interesting things about it is the people that are having the problems with light sport that are causing some insurance claims are not the new starts. Right. They're the existing pilots that are changing. They're That's transitioning right, to the different vehicle. You know, we went through the same thing. You remember this. We went through the same thing in the early 80s with the ultralights. Absolutely. The guys that started out in ultralights and learned to fly in ultralights did a great job. They were above average in safety record. The majority of the problems that we suffered in the ultralight community in those days occurred at the hands of experienced pilots that in some ways didn't seem to take the smaller airplane as seriously as they might have taken something heavy. Already knew how to fly that thing. Right. You can't tell me anything about flying this little stuff. I fly great big stuff. And then they'd go out and hurt themselves. Barry. And that's what I was saying before. Proficiency is the main key to it. It doesn't matter what you're flying. You have to be proficient in that class and type to be, you know, a good pilot in it. And you just can't do it by talking about it. You have to go out and fly with an instructor or some other way to, to get their proficiency. That's well, what the insurance companies are telling us. More time. transition training. They're, they're, they are ruining the industry now on Absolutely. what you need to fly an airplane. As they so often do. Barry, I mean, from you go from the extreme, an airline pilot 
down to the kit fox. I mean, how do you make that adjustment? What does that require? Is that as much a matter of attitude and being willing to to kind of accept that, hey, this is a whole different thing, and despite the fact I'm an airline pilot, I've got to really kind of get back into a different mindset for this. Absolutely. Each aircraft has its own parameters, and you have to adjust to those parameters whenever you're flying it. And any aircraft will bite you, just like any other vehicle of that nature and you have to be proficient and understand and know what its limitations are what your limitations are and you've got to fly the airplane the way it likes to be flown absolutely well, and it talks to you. They they all talk. They to you. all talk to you. And just sitting down know in a new airplane, saying, "Well, what worked in the other one bound to work in this one," with no recognition of the differences, is a pretty sure way to get teeth marks that you don't want. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, we don't have a lot of instructors now that are readily available to teaching tail draggers if you need tail dragger instruction or different stuff. So it, it's difficult. It's it's not. You just can't go out to the airport and there's somebody there and you can go fly. You have to make arrangements. You have to work at making it happen at a lot of places, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, but that's really no different than it's always been. That's I guess exactly I guess that's correct. True. Yeah. Now, DJ, I was, we've heard and seen a lot out of the uh, NTSB, unfortunately, in recent weeks, uh, because of a small rash of Zodiac accidents that have befallen, uh, I think, six airplanes. Uh, all of them kind of source differently. And the uh, chairman, Mark Rosenker, the acting chairman of the board, was in Wichita a little over a week ago, repeated his call for the FAA to ground all of these. And this is a design that's been around as an experimental amateur built for years. I've more, flown more than it, 20 years and 1,500 airplanes flying. And I've, I've, I've got 20-odd hours in them and never found a bad habit. Uh, so the FAA hadn't exactly jumped on, as it usually is his case, on the NTSB recommendation. Uh, but I'm hearing some concern. I've even had local newspaper and TV reporters approach me and want me to pontificate on whether this should be grounded, which I'm declining to do. But I think it'd be worth addressing in just a moment what we do know about this. Well, what we do know, first of all, is that only two of them were SLSA that is fully built, fully manufactured airplanes, and those two by two different companies. The other four were kits, and two of those were not in the United States. So you've got quite a diversity of things there. They all are newer models, though. The older ones uh, aren't implicated in this, apparently. But it's, it's broad-stroking, once again. Right. And, and for some reason, that just really captured the media's attention, the mainstream media, that is. And I wouldn't want to be those guys standing in their booth this week because I'm sure they're answering one question over and over. What's up with that? Do we know? Is there any common thread at all with it? Not that I'm aware of, but the allegation is that it's, uh, um, and this is only allegation, so I say that again with caution, that it was uh, flutter-induced by slack aileron cables. But It was aileron flutter Yes, is what they're thinking. That, that, and that, that, that's that, one that, That's one of the here. troubling things. That, you know, they, Well, we think it may be aileron flutter. And... Flutter, aerodynamic flutter to that degree is not something you usually associate with a 100-knot airplane. Right. Can't happen, though. I have experienced it in uh, ultralights at uh, barely over 100, air, 100 miles an hour, so that's under 100 knots. And, uh, I mean, it, it does happen, but, uh, you know, that, but that, that design has been proven yeah. beyond that point. And sure, there may have been some adjustment problems that caused a, a, a problem in an airplane, but 
This isn't a condemnation of this class of airplane. This has happened in other airplanes. Like That's Dave, I've, I've flown that airplane before also. I don't have 20 hours in it, but I've flown it also. It's a nice, solid little airplane. Uh, I, I kind of wonder if maybe there's some rigging issues or some maintenance issues um, that might be directly related to a flutter episode, but we don't know yet. We don't know. So really, it's speculation at this point. But, uh, again, I wouldn't want to be answering well, all those questions this week. My heart goes out to them. The thing that made me immediately question the, the NTSB's recommendation, and I admire these folks to death. There are no better detectives in the world than the investigators at the NTSB. But when you look at what you just talked about, the different sourcing, the different backgrounds, it's hard to tie a total common denominator to these accidents when you've got such a variety. Four home belts on two continents and two special light sport aircraft from two different manufacturers. It's not like you had six airplanes come off the same assembly line at the same factory. And to me, kind of undercut the strength of the NTSB's uh, uh, insistence that the type should be grounded. Uh, right along the lines with the uh, uh, de Havilland Dash 8 400 accident in New York a few months ago. Right. Uh, wow, it flew through ice. They remembered Roselawn, Indiana several years earlier with a uh, uh, ATR-72. Now, the fact that they're both turboprops, they're both high wings, <laughs> and there was a great hue and cry to ground turboprop airliners from flying and icing. But the circumstances of the two accidents, the conditions were s so far apart, so dissimilar, to try to lump this all into one thing. And, of course, our good friends in the general media who only learn anything about airplanes when there's a crash, find it really easy to wrap their hands around, oh, they say it should be grounded. What do you think? I think it's premature. Well, and what would you do? You ground them all, and then what? Then, then what is exactly You start right. examining yeah. every single airplane out in the field to see if it might have some consistent problem? I mean, that's not the way you do proper investigation in my mind, although I agree with you. The uh, investigators themselves, I know, I've met many of them. They're hardworking guys. They're trying to do the right thing. But these judgment calls come down from on high within NTSB. And I don't know. It sounds like sort of a cry for attention as much as anything else. I hate to say well, it that way. Uh, I've met Chairman Rosen, or acting Chairman Rosenkirk. He's a sincere guy. He's a hard worker. Uh, but it's, uh, it's their job well, exactly. to question this stuff. It's right. their job to err on the side of let's make it impossibly safe and that doesn't work in the real world so we're, we're, we're kind of encouraged that the FAA has said we really need to look at this in more detail we need more facts we need more uh, uh, information about the specific accidents and how they tie together or don't tie together and I'm rooting for the Zenith folks to in uh, the AMD folks to find out that there's in the end no real common denominator to justify a call like that I know from my background, um, the uh, forums, if there is one for that particular aircraft, can shed a lot of information on it uh, through the individuals. Because yeah, with the experimentals, there isn't really a good way to get the information out there, like through a manufacturer assessment stuff. And through the RV-10 forum, I've gone through a lot of problems that the RV-10 had with the nose wheel, with... Uh, they had a uh, service bulletin on the tail. There was a crack in the bulkhead, stuff like that, where the information got out there and simulated. And there was feedback back and forth. Well, how many guys have found this? No one's found this. One guy's found it. So that's a good way to exchange information, too. It's informal, but at least it's out there to where it can be, you know, the, the, 
the bottom line, we all want to have a safe vehicle. And the way to do that is to get as much information out there to people as you can. If there is a problem, then figure out what it is and fix it. And if there's not, then, you know, you, you can't put a black mark on it. Nothing messes up a good flight more than being in the airplane at the end of it. That's right. That's right. Hey, you know, once again, we've got a, a handful. We were joking earlier. We've got both of our listeners here. and <laughs> but uh, Our mothers couldn't come down, so we're stuck That's with right. this. One listener that uh, we met just for the first time just recently is, is here, and I wanted to say hi to him. Uh, is, uh, Tony, right? Tony, what's your, first, your full name? Tony Perkle. And where are you from? Theodore, Alabama, just south of Mobile. So uh, tell me a little bit about the kind of flying that you do. Well, I'm flying a Kolb at this time. I've got a RANS that I'm going through and getting it back in the air. Uh, mostly light stuff, antique stuff, doing some Stearman flying, some T6 flying, um, but mostly like Cub type stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, how, many t- how long have you been coming to Sun and Fun? This is the, s- the third time that I've attended Sun and Fun. Um, so three times. So now you were, t- I think you were telling us earlier that you've gone through the sport pilot training program. That's right. That's now, how, how did that work? What did you, you know, it sounds like you've got a lot of uh, flight experience, but then you went through the sport pilot program. How'd that work? I did. I, I, I flew a lot in Quicksilver, um, MX, if anybody knows, that's a Quicksilver with no ailerons. Uh, put it on floats, flew it a, a bunch, and I uh, just decided, you know, after uh, I've built a Challenger and, and then I've uh, built, now I've built a Kolb, and I've um, decided, you know, I need to do the, the LSA training and, and get the ticket that way. And I did that close to the home airport. I fly out of Roy Ray, uh, just south of Mobile there, and I did my training at St. Elmo Airport, and uh, that, that was awesome. That was a great experience. That's great. Well, thank you. I appreciate your uh, coming by and saying hi, and it's great to meet you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Sincerely. I'm sorry, your wife is here too, right? Yeah. You better tell us your, her name just so you don't get in too big trouble here. That's right. My wife's name is Sam. Does she, she fly too? No, she doesn't. But, you know, she doesn't like to fly and do the kind of flying I like to do. She likes to do the rock and roll stuff. <laughs> okay. Does she have right. a sister? <laughs> Thank you very much. Tony, congratulations yeah. on passing yeah. your check ride. Thank you, Tony. Thank yeah, you Thanks for stopping by. We really appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Tony. Are you a listener too? Yeah, yeah, why don't you come on in here? So, uh, hi, what's your name? I'm Bill Evans. I'm from Montreal, EAA 266. And uh, we've been pretty active. As you know, it's our 100th anniversary of flight. Oh, really? And uh, the last three or four years, I've been getting back into aviation. Uh, years ago in my youth, I had a Beach Bonanza and a Schrader HP-11, uh, a home-built uh, sailplane, all metal, both all metal, both V-tails. I was very happy with them and uh, got out of it for a while. And I'm back in it now. I, I bought a Sonneray and, and restored it, which was uh, fairly major. And as you can imagine, that was, uh, that was huge to go from uh, uh, an instrument platform or a sailplane, which also had a huge wingspan, uh, I guess it was 16 and a half meters of wing, to a sonaray with uh, 84 feet, 84 square feet of wing, and a sport plane was, uh, was a huge change. And, uh, and I'm very grateful to EAA and, uh, and all the associations online. Uh, this year I'm contributing, the, the second year I, I'm doing a forum. I'd worked uh, for a lifetime as an aircraft inspector. You're doing a forum here at Sun and Fun? Yes, I am. What, yeah. what's the, what's it, which one is it? Uh, the forum I'm doing is called Aircraft Inspection Techniques for Home-Built Aircraft. And uh, one or two people in our area had lost their aircraft and their lives. 
And there was one, uh, I think, two years ago now at Fulton County near uh, Syracuse. Uh, the fellow had built, uh, at incredible expense, a Lancare Legacy and had uh, lost engine power installed and spun in. And uh, so I spoke to Bob Curtis, who runs the forums, and he said, well, for Pete's sake, do something that you know something about. So I'm doing one on inspection, and I'm hoping uh, with everybody else to reduce the numbers of those. Uh, if you don't mind, I did read the NTSB, all 12 pages of it, the report on the Zenair 601XL, and uh, some of the other things that were out. I did read what the EAA and the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association were saying about uh, Zenith, and uh, they were trying to go soft, and so they should. You could ruin a manufacturer very quickly with a few careless words. I was impressed uh, that the NTSB said that they had uh, done the math on the aircraft flutter and their numbers look good and their math was essentially the same as what Zenith had done. However, they pointed out that the Finnish inspectors on the two aircraft that went down in Finland, they had started with a clean sheet of paper and had different math and they said they wanted to go over and meet with the Finnish guys and talk to them and uh, satisfy themselves that, uh, that the math here was good and, and if not, then question that. Now, I, as you know, the aircraft that I've, I've had, or may, may or may not know, have had control rods for both the elevators and, uh, well, the Bonanza had some cables there, but they also had some bell cranks. And uh, the aircraft that I have now is all control rods and, and torque tubes on the ailerons and, and the elevators, uh, which makes uh, flutter, which is a very big and very dangerous word, uh, extremely less, uh, less likely. And when you have a sport plane, uh, which for me means neutral stability in all three axes, uh, if you don't abuse the controls, if you behave yourself. Uh, and that's been very important to me. Um, but I do wonder, and I'm sure some of you must be wondering if maybe it's time, and I'm sure some of you have met Chris Hines. I heard him speak in Montreal when they were in Canada, um, that maybe they should be thinking about uh, torque tubes and push rods and say, uh, it might be time for a control system if there are enough aircraft out there that the cable tension is not being properly regulated and six aircraft in ten dead says uh, we should solve this. If right. there is an issue, we should solve this. And, and certainly uh, I would be hoping that in the months ahead that Zenair would weigh in and say, uh, you know, we have a definitive solution uh, and this is how we're going to do it or if, uh, if the following uh, measures are met uh, regarding cable tension, then we don't have a problem. But I was uh, surprised after 35 years, not much surprises me, but I was surprised that at 112 to 114 miles an hour, you could have something like yeah. uh, aileron flutter that could fold up the wings. That's uh, very uncommon. If you had a Spitfire and at 350, or if you had a, a Mustang, P-51 Mustang, and at 400 miles an hour, you were having flutter, you could understand it. But uh, it, it struck me odd yeah. that that should be occurring at this time, and I would hope that uh, that resolution could be found and and sooner rather than later yeah. that, uh, that we could solve this. For uh, people who are listening on the live radio feed, when is your forum? Oh, it's, uh, I'm doing it twice. I did one today, tomorrow, Wednesday, at 1 o'clock in Tent 2. And uh, I had a good turnout today. 
And uh, mind you, the fellows get the uh, accreditation for their uh, recurrent training for their pilot's license, so they like that. And uh, I'm thankful to the FAA that they granted me that this year. And uh, I hope uh, some of the folks will turn out. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's great. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, take Maybe care. It brings yeah. up a question I wanted to ask Dan real quick. One of the things that the Light Aircraft Manufacturers Association, which if I remember correctly, you're the president, the chairman, the secretary, you mop the floors and put the paper in the copying machine. Uh, All as a volunteer. And you... Uh, the Light Aircraft Manufacturers Association has developed an audit program for the uh, for the LSA manufacturers as a way of helping to provide some assurance that quality control and consistency is what it's supposed to be. You've been working your way through that with some of the manufacturers. Tell us how that's progressing right now. Well, we're going to have a press conference here uh, tomorrow morning, as a matter of fact, where we will award a certificate of completion to the Evector Sports Star. Uh, that is now the fourth completion that we have. We don't do pass or fail. You either complete or you don't complete a LAMA audit. If you don't complete it, it means there was something missing, and then LAMA will work with the manufacturer to secure that missing document or, or, or some document that falls short in some way. So it, it's an easy solution there. But the audit is an attempt to say a manufacturer, it's, it's a whole new world here. We've got a brave new world of, of aircraft certification. There's a lot of people that don't understand it particularly well. When an aircraft wins certification as an SLSA, it's because the manufacturer says it does. And that's it. And then it goes out in the field and a DAR inspects it, but that person, while doing the job that they're supposed to do, does not cover the whole program. For example, continued airworthiness monitoring and things like that. So the LAMA audit uh, comprised of look at doing an exact line-by-line -line review of every single item in all applicable ASTM standards. Not a small job but provides to the general public, provides to insurance companies, provides to member organizations. I mean, who wants to study this stuff? There's, you know, the last gentleman we just spoke to obviously is into that kind of thing. He's one in a thousand or something that really cares to hear much about that. So the audit attempts to go through and say, well, look, you're supposed to have this and that and the other kind of document to prove what you just said. Lama merely inspects that, reviews it, sees that it's what it's supposed to be, and then can award a certificate of completion that says, we're a third party, we don't manufacture these things, and even Lama subcontracts that work to experts that are very knowledgeable in that area so that there's no conflict of interest, there's no money received for doing this, there's no financial gain. But this at the is, end this of the is day, a fairly involved process, too. I mean, the amount of time it takes, the amount of paperwork examined, the processes checked. This is basically uh, an engineering review. This is no small thing. Right. I happen to, I'm not conversant as much as some of our experts that we've uh, signed agreements with to do this stuff uh, on all of the various standards, and there are several that can apply to any one aircraft. But I did personally write the airframe parachute standard, and I know it to be superior to Part 23 because that's what I started with and then added to it. For example, under the ASTM standards, a parachute uh, manufacturer and the airframe manufacturer must converse about how that thing is installed. That's not true in the Part 23 world. So the ASTM standards are really very strong. The question is, how does anyone know they've all been adhered to? And that's where the LAMA audit comes in. So compliant uh, audit, compliance audit is designed to, 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 to show. Yeah. And it's a lot different than the uh, review process that the FAA just went through with a bunch of the... LSA manufacturers, they initially yeah. called an audit, 
they labeled it an audit, but then they changed their language on it. And that was basically they come in and spend a day and go on to the next one. Well, they asked a lot of questions, and they did call it an audit because that's just their language. But it really, the project was called an assessment project. It was a snapshot view of what these guys are doing. And they basically gave pretty good grades to it. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a valid another thing to do, but it's by no means a substitute for the llama audit, which is which is a much more intensive process than that. So the Vector folks will win theirs, uh, and they follow Flight Design, Indus Aviation, and BRS Parachutes, who have all completed their uh, audit certification. It reminds me a little bit of the early days in hang gliding when we had some issues where confidence in the product was not holding up well because of safety problems, and the Hang Gliding Manufacturer, Hang Glider Manufacturers Association actually developed a set of standards and a set of tests and there was no legal requirement for anybody to build and certify the hang glider to those Completely standards. Voluntary, yeah. It was voluntary, but seeing that sticker on the keel was a customer's assurance that it had at least been tested to those standards and shown that it met or exceeded. Things like dive recovery test and strength test, where the, the manufacturers actually had to build test rigs, break some gliders, document it on film, show that it held up to these certain levels, then the manufacturer got the sticker. But only after his competing manufacturers went through the documentation and said, okay, it's That's solid. right. It was There's nothing like a competitor to look guys. closely at somebody else's stuff. Well, Even okay. FAA or an insurance company won't and, look quite as hard. And that's really important for the industry to have that standard so the customer can know and it keeps the playing field level where everyone having to put the same amount of money and effort in to get their product to market and being competitive. We think it helps, and, uh, and Lama does this at what we think is a bargain cost, well under $10,000, and you compare that to just, say, yeah. an ISO quality audit that starts at around thirty grand and up. Uh, we, th we think we're doing it very, very efficiently and keeping the cost down. This is the low-end costing side of aviation, and, and we don't need our cost to run out of hand either. Well, DJ, going back to the NTSB and the Zodiac, do you, do you wonder if maybe the NTSB is fully cognizant of of uh, how the LSA standard was put together and how it's implemented in the field? I would say this for both NTSB and FAA, and I don't think I'm going to step on anybody's toes by doing this, that within either of those organizations, there's a very small group that knows them fairly well, and everybody else is almost ignorant of them. Uh, it's just not their sphere of what right. they're working in, right. and I don't blame them. But uh, so without studying it fairly thoroughly, like those of us that have been deeply involved with it, you, just, you can't hardly know it as well. Well, typically the NTSB does not, it does not investigate experimental aircraft exactly. accidents unless it's a very well-known right. and universally used experimental. They turn oh, that over to the FAA uh, typically. Quick meat on that bone. The NTSB is responsible for investigating all aircraft accidents in the United States. But so often they delegate that back to the to FAA. the FAA. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to return to to, to James's question of a while back, uh, which is the, the the whole question of who are the people who are becoming qualified to fly LSA aircraft, or it's redundant, I know LS aircraft, uh, and uh, particularly the the question of uh, you know, I th I think anyways we expected that there would be a lot. This would be an entry point to aviation. And it seems, um, at least that the, the, the news I hear, is that the, the percentage of people who are 
newcomers to aviation and just getting that sport pilot ticket is not as high as we expected. First of all, does it does that seem to be the case from from your experience? Well, it is, but uh, you know, it, it's. My yep. ultimate question is, what can we do to help with that? What, what's the what's the message we should be getting out to non-flying aviation enthusiasts to bring it's, them over? It's there and it's low cost, and the airplanes are are pretty darn good for their job. But the problem is this: that we've got a whole brand new industry, only four years old. Just you know, we're days after the fourth anniversary of the first approval here. It's barely out of diapers. It's exactly right. It's a nascent thing, and. Uh, and so a lot of people said, well, you know, this light sport thing and the sport pilot certificate, two different elements of the same uh, uh, package, uh, we're going to solve this problem and bring new people into aviation. Well, that's presumptuous. I mean, how are we going to do that? General Aviation's had, I don't know, 80 years or something to do it, and, and I consider myself part of that group, too. And we haven't done that well at it. Our numbers and you have look slipping. so much younger than that. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> See, I was working on a joke along there, too. <laughs> okay, fine. Beat me to it. Beat 20 to plus it. years ago, when I was young and beautiful, when you were wet, what one, one out of two Let's is not bad. Let's not go there anymore, Dave. One, one out of two is not bad. Uh, one of the things that I find talking to folks that are interested in, in getting licenses is they, they go to a flight school. They want to learn. To, they want to get their sport pilot ticket because they understand that that's a stepping stone that can help them move up to the private pilot at a little different pace, and they can use the light sport aircraft with their sport pilot's license much more quickly than they can get their private pilot's license and use it to actually take friend, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend along. But they walk into a flight school, and it seems like too many flight schools, the first thing they want to do is say, yeah, you know, you really don't want that. You want to learn to fly this G-1000-172 that you can buy for only $300,000 later on. And they walk away. It's $130 an hour to rent and $75 an hour for a flight instructor. And then they come back and they send me messages in uncontrolled airspace saying, but you guys said that there are cheap ways to do this. Are, are we facing a situation where we need to like maybe educate the FBO flight school and CFI community a little bit more? Well, I am pleased to report that for some reason in 2009, so this is very recent, and I, and I don't really know why. I have a theory, and I'll mention it quickly. But, uh, but we have seen a uh, quite a groundswell of interest from the uh, conventional FBO, the established FBO, saying, "Okay, I, I've been looking at these LSA, and I've been hearing about this sport pilot thing, and you know, I did used to send them on to private and Cessna or Piper or what have you, because that's what I knew, and I didn't know this other thing, and I'd look, I'd look like I wasn't an expert." If I tried to explain something I didn't know that much about. But that's begun to change in 2009, and the number of flight schools interested in these airplanes now, in addition, not to replace, but in addition to the ones they've already got, has kind of exploded. I mean, I don't have numbers to back that up, but my theory is this. We're in an economic downturn, so everything that costs less, you know, Walmart and whatnot, their sales are up, and, uh, uh, you know, the high-end luxury store sales are down, and jet sales are down, and light sport aircraft are doing okay. There's There's something going on there. But also, we've all been along, all these LSAs have been around now for a while, and those strange, weird brands from places you never heard of before becoming a little more familiar in combination with a weak economic climate, and I think we've got some schools going, hmm, maybe I should look at that. Remember, we're quiet airplanes largely. They do use very little fuel. They can use auto fuel. There's a number of compelling things that make them suddenly go, hmm, that might be an economic thing well, to do, and they're shiny and pretty. You also, Why not? you're getting to a level of maturation in the community and in the light sport industry where 
you know, five years ago, four years ago, you didn't really know a, a prospective purchaser might not really know which aircraft or which manufacturer he might want to align himself with, buy in to something, and, you know, five, six years later, you're still stuck with it. It may or may not be an orphan. Well, we're starting to see a lot of that sift out. We're starting to see, um, the, as I say, the industry mature. And uh, finally, maybe some of the FBOs and flight, flight training organizations are realizing that also and coming along for the ride. But it also touch, this also touches, uh, DJ, on something that we've kind of beaten uh, on here on the podcast in, in recent episodes, or, or past episodes anyway, uh, the, the sorry state of the flight training industry and FBOs generally and um, how they're not all that welcoming to the, um, the zero-hour prospective pilot. And uh, there, there's, there's so many barriers that are erected sometimes with some of these uh, organizations. It's really, in my mind, one of the continuing problems that we really need to lick here before we can really realize that kind of growth. Question. You know, uh, i got to tell you a little story. I think you'll find this humorous, and maybe some of the listeners will as well. Uh, my other home state, I now live in Florida half of the year, thank goodness. And the more pleasant time of the year, I live in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And the Department of Aeronautics of Minnesota is actually a very outgoing and uh, uh, aviation growth-oriented organization, which is not terribly common in my experience. And one of their guys, uh, a leader in that organization, said, Dan, you know what the Minnesota FBO prayer is? And I said, no, Wayne, but I feel sure you're going to tell me in a moment. And he yeah. says, yeah, it goes like this. Dear God, please make these customers go away so I don't have to sell them anything. Right. That's just too true. I hate to say it, yeah. but, you know, that with a big black fence like that gorgeous new thing we've got around our LSA mall now, which keeps, I don't know who out and who in, but uh, that in combination with people that don't seem very welcoming, as you mentioned. We've had three boogeyman sightings just in the last 36 hours, so... <laughs> Well, that's, that's a topic that we've touched on in the past, as I say, on the, on the podcast, and, and something we might want to touch on a little bit more detail in the future. But uh, it, it's a continuing problem. It's a worthy topic, though. Yeah, we need so. to be a little better businessmen in aviation. Yeah, right. We've got the passion we need. We've got the passion. Uh, well, we, 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 we just have too a, many hurdles sometimes. Yep. We, we've got a little bit of an issue in this community just in promoting growth in the pilot population, period. And you would think that folks that are ostensibly in the business of making money off of making pilots would be a lot more enthused about less expensive ways to get more people involved because aviation's always been very similar to a lot of other activities, boats and motorcycles, where it's the rare pilot who gets in, gets that first airplane, and never progresses. They move up. And then they move up. Today's LSA pilot instinct, is tomorrow's yeah. private pilot, who's tomorrow's instrument pilot, who's tomorrow's commercial pilot. And he's today's LSA customer, who's tomorrow's GA FAR 23 customer, and up and up and up. Uh, we're losing pilots faster than we're making them. Yeah. We, need to, we need to reverse that. That's we right. We need to reverse right. that badly. There are, there are some positive steps, though. So. Yeah. Uh, this interest that we're seeing, I'm encouraged about the development of these shows in the middle of an economic downturn. These are positive things, and we can hope for more of those. That's kind right. Of That's right. Hey, I want to. Uh, we're sort of reaching the end of our allotted time here, but I wanted to say hi to another listener who's hanging out here. Uh, Jim, come on over here. Jim's an old friend of the podcast, and uh, uh, hey, we, we we get an opportunity to visit with him. Uh, can you climb through here. 
get a chance to visit with Jim, uh, uh, as we do with so many of our friends when we come out here to these shows. We've talked about Jim on the... Actually, you've, you've participated in the Podapalooza, um, and, and I've actually alluded to you a number of times on the podcast because it, it thrills me what you've done here. You, I, I think this is the pilot's dream. You bought an airport. And, uh, and we, we don't have an awful lot of time here, but tell us a little bit about what was, what, what was behind all that. What possessed you to buy an airport? It's a little bit different than Jeb's experience in terms of living in an air park because basically what we, my wife and I did was we brought, bought a hillside property that happened to have a 1,200-foot landing strip or runway already on it. The hard part had been done, which is that the previous owner had gotten the approvals to put a runway on his, on his land. And we bought it because uh, one of the issues with flying to your favorite vacation destination is what do you do on the ground when you get there? And it involves renting cars or bringing bicycles, which is fine. But being able to fly directly to the door of your vacation home is just a real treat. And it is our hope to share this with others in the future, as I mentioned at Potapalooza, by someday, once we get all our approvals, uh, to be able to rent it out to pilot friends to also fly in and use. It's a particularly challenging runway because it's 1500, now 1,500 feet on the side of a hill. And you mentioned you were flying up towards um, Freiburg. Jack. Yeah, my, I, I, I had, didn't have a chance to do this, but one of the one of the trips that's on my list is to visit, uh, what's it called, Eastern Slopes? Eastern, Slo- Eastern Slopes Regional in Freiburg, Maine. When you go up there... I, and I was planning to make a little side trip on the way out and kind of head head uh, west from Eastern Slopes and overfly your airport right. uh, before heading back home. So uh, uh, that, I haven't actually done a lot of flying in that part of the country. You're getting really close to Mount Washington up there. And uh, so uh, tell me about... So now that you've had the airport for a while and you're kind of wrestling with some of the issues, is, is, are you still satisfied with the with the the the, the decision that you made? Um, yes and no. <laughs> it, it the, the process of getting um, all the permits necessary to, to develop a house and a few extra houses for rent for rental are complicated slightly by the fact that we have a runway. It it uh, we don't have militant neighbors trying to run us out of town. But we have to be very sensitive, and everybody's very sensitive about this runway. The runway is shared with other neighbors who have a helicopter, and the helicopters tend to make noise that annoys the neighbors more than airplanes. And I, I tend to, I am single engine kind of airplane guy, so I don't understand helicopters. But my neighbors who run their helicopters on the runway are very nice people, but they tend to make the neighbors very noise sensitive, and that makes our permit local permitting process a little touchy so at this point gee uh i don't know i guess we should have done it uh, we would do it again but now I, i'm not sure i would be as enthusiastic let me tell you it's a challenge now i want just let me add that we have the easy part the guy who got the permits to build the runway he had the hard part well we wish you good luck with that it's very exciting and uh, hopefully one of these days i'm going to come up and visit you there get uh, you're on the hook you're coming Okay, sounds good. Jim, looks like you're about to say something. Jim, no, I was, thanks I was, for thanks, all. Jim. Yeah, I'm just going to thank Jim for uh, all his support over the years. And uh, Really? Uh, seriously? Yeah. And uh, if there's anything we can do to try to make uh, your uh, bureaucratic uh, red tape exercise there. Uh, just stay on the air and keep talking for general aviation for getting people in. That's a great thing that you guys are doing. Thank you, Jim. Jim thank you. That's the your plan. Your support, the enthusiasm of folks like Tony. Right. You know, they, they, they really are the best paycheck that we could get out of this. Yeah, and, and, and now's a good time. Um, this is the first episode since uh, the oh, Great wait, man, Southeast uh, U.S. Yep. Uh-huh. UCAP meetup. And uh, 
I, I can't remember all the I mentioned uh, Chuck earlier. I can't remember all the names of, of people who were there. There's David and Scott and Kevin, and I'm, I'm sure I'm going to miss out, uh, I should say, uh, uh, leave out some people. And, and, and Amy uh, brought some of her people. We had a very good turnout. And yep. uh, There's a great picture on the great, great picture uh, on the, the website on, in the on forums. The website yeah. the forums. Uh, we're going to try to do this every year, uh, the weekend before Sun and Fun. We may not do it every year at Venice, Florida, but we are going to try to do it every year. And uh, again, thanks to everybody who came out. It was uh, it was great, and it's always very humbling to me, and I'm sure to Dave and and, and to Jack, absolutely, um, to have uh, our listeners come out and, and have the opportunity to meet them face to face. And uh, we look forward to that. It, it keeps us going. And and thank you. Yep. And thanks to Jim. So. In wrapping this thing up, uh, this is day one. Uh, we're going to be here through the week. We're going to do another episode of the podcast on closing day, on, on closing morning. But uh, in the meantime, what's your expectation? What uh, What are you going to do tomorrow, Dave? Tomorrow is my day to fly an SR-22 with the new Avidyne uh, Revision 9 system and the new digital autopilot. Uh, day after that, I'm doing a flight with Cirrus and an SR-22 G3 Turbo. Uh, kind of bring myself up to speed. It's been a while since I've flown the 22. Uh, after that, I'm going to get over to the uh, Paradise City area and see if I can't wrangle myself a couple of LSA flights, uh, kind of get myself back in there. One of the saddest notes for me this year is I don't think we're going to see any muzzle loader here. Uh, I don't think we're going to see our old buddy Chuck Lasargic here because he sold he, the he company. He did sell the company, yeah. You know, health problems that are tragic unfortunate that this has happened and after what 30 years of chuck supporting hang gliding and ultralights and and then light sport uh to not have him here and on a more personal note the lack of muzzleloader just leaves a big big hole in my social calendar <laughs> well and chuck is um um one of the, the grand um he is one of the icons people, of this, yeah. the sport aviation. Uh, of, of that uh, segment of the industry. And uh, uh, we all wish him very well. And um, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last reports were as he was recovering from that uh, uh, problem uh, reasonably well, but just good. didn't feel he could keep up with the business. No, so good. the yeah. good news is his health is coming back a bit, but the bad news is we won't see him down here with his well, smiling face. He, he's handed it off to some, or passed it on to some folks that are hawk devotees and hawk supporters and they're here in florida and uh, uh the the good news is that the the hawk design and the lsa version of it which was approved uh, met astm standards right after sun and fun a year ago that's right continues to be the lowest priced factory ready aircraft that you can get yourself into and go fly, have a good yeah. time. I'm going to track one down and check it out. I absolutely yeah. want to do that. Hey, speaking of uh, uh, traditions here at uh, Sun and Fun, uh, uh, not quite as, as, as long time a tradition as muzzleloader, but, uh, but those of us are passionate about it anyways, and that is the Sun and Fun Radio Waffles are, uh, <laughs> are continue to be an ongoing thing. I have to tell you, this is kind of exciting. When, uh, when Dave Schalbetter was on the podcast uh, about two or three weeks ago, uh, in a moment of weakness, he invited... <laughs> Insanity. I, I almost can't believe this, but he did, in fact, invite um, 
UCAP listeners to come on by the radio station. You got to come in the morning when waffles are happening, all right? But you come on by the radio station and they will offer up some waffles to UCAP listeners, which is awesome. Apparently, now he did this on the podcast and we're all talking about it afterwards and thinking, yeah, nobody's going to do this. You know, come on, we don't have that many. Yesterday. Listeners. Apparently, there have already been two, yeah. two listeners who have wandered before up. Before the show started. Yeah, before the show even started, yeah. two, two listeners. Um, I, I wanted to say hi to uh, Jonathan Cook of Celebration Florida, who is one of the listeners who apparently wandered. By uh, is he out here? No, not oh, Jonathan, and then Tony, who we spoke to a few minutes ago, uh-huh. uh, uh, the sport pilot, uh, apparently also had wandered by looking for his waffles. So uh, there you, you go. And now we arrived. We Jeb would and encourage I arrived you to late. do this in the morning because they do like to shut the waffle iron down. Yeah, no, no, yeah, before and, ten and, in the morning and, and let it rest for the next day's yeah, labor. Now, now you're putting qualifiers on it. You know, there weren't any qualifiers on it to begin with. There were. It was morning. He did put that qualifier uh, on it. Okay. It can't be uh, the we, afternoon. We, but, we uh, did test run the waffle machine yesterday morning and are happy to report that it functions perfectly. Uh, the awesome. waffles fall out nonstick, crunchy on the outside, tasty on the inside. Oh, don't hot. get me going here. Um, I'll be here tomorrow morning. I, we didn't get here till late this morning, but uh, I'll be here tomorrow morning with doing, doing waffles and... Uh, and any listeners who are uh, on the uh, live radio feed, come on by, UCAP listeners. And we any- are keeping track. And anybody who is listening to this on the Internet, hopefully we'll have this up uh, sometime, uh, what is tomorrow, Wednesday afternoon. And this is not a one-time offer. I mean, yep. Jonathan stopped by and said, I'm, you know, I'm looking for Dave. I said, I'm Dave. He said, I heard you on UCAP, and you said I get a waffle. <laughs> so I'm like, absolutely. And I wrote his name down and stuff. But, you know, Jonathan, if you're listening tonight, stop by in the morning, have a waffle. Yeah. You know? but have, I also, I'm yep. going to take a moment of your time. Okay. Um, my co-chair, Terry Fowler, is in the hospital. Um, I want everybody to wish Terry a speedy recovery. Um, Terry can't be here at the fly-in this year. He's he is missed. Missed, missed a bunch. And we wish Terry a absolute speedy recovery. Speedy Absolutely. Recovery, Terry. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely, Terry. We, we want to see yeah. you back here for Sun and Fun 2010. Yeah, Terry, Terry's one of the guys that's made this thing click over the years. And uh, I know... Uh, uh, Dave Schaubetter here is uh, missing him greatly this year, and we're just all crossing our fingers that he'll be back next year. Absolutely, absolutely. Jeb, I know you, you have to take off. Uh, you won't be here tomorrow. I, I, I probably I won't. It. I probably will not be here tomorrow. But whatever uh, the next day, your next day at Sun and Fun, what are you going to do? Probably uh, Friday uh, and Saturday, and probably all day Sunday. Also, looking for more things to buy. More looking for more things to buy. I've got another buddy of mine who's going to try to smoke in the town. Um, kind of a little bit of squishy on exactly when he'll get here and, and that kind of thing. Um, the w- one thing I have not have really had a chance to do in, in recent years is uh, to spend some time walking through the vintage parking area. Uh, there's always some very interesting aircraft out there, one of a kind sometimes. Um, and just getting up close and, and looking at some of the details on them and looking at the construction. These are aircraft that are you know, 50, 60, 70 years old sometimes. Um, and um, it's, it's just a great tradition uh, for the industry, for the community. Um, there's always something new and different to learn and see and, and uh, find out about. So that's that's one of the ways I wouldn't mind spending an afternoon or at least a couple hours in an afternoon is uh, uh, looking at some of the uh, the transient airplanes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's you know these are the guys who actually fly the things here. Yeah, and uh, they deserve some recognition too. Yeah, 
Well, we'll be back later in the week. Uh, we'll do another episode on Sunday morning, and we'll report on uh, on all the things that we've seen and done throughout the week, uh, or at least most of them, some of the things we can't report on. But. And you've got lots of time to get down to Senate Fun, folks. It doesn't end until Sunday. That's right. And this uh, will be on the net tomorrow. <laughs> what is so. that look? Uh, <laughs> what is that look? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. It's, it's, it's time for my favorite quote. Right, Jack? <laughs> I'm just, you know, it's an involuntary reaction. I'm just, you know, reality's rearing its ugly head. You know, stuff happens. All I'm, all I'm saying is, those of you who are listening to this on the Internet, you're not in Florida, you're not listening to us live on the radio, the weather's great, you got all week to make your plans. Get your butt down here. Absolutely. No lines, no waiting, plenty of parking. That's right. That's right. Hey, we want to thank Dave Schalbetter and the entire crew here at Sun and Fun Radio for uh, letting us uh, take over their airwaves for a couple hours or an hour and a half or so here. We appreciate that. Thank you, David. I appreciate you guys coming here and filling up the time. Okay, well, it's great to have you. And you know, and filling you know up the time is started. all we promised. That we, you know, we did. You, you know what you've started here. We're going with more podcasts. Tell us about that. We have. The, the great privilege of having the four big names in aviation podcasts here at Sun and Fun Radio. He says you that guys, because I course, told him that. That's that the, would be Manny, Mo, Jack, and Jerry, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, that would go- be UCAP, yeah. of course, you guys, which you know, you're making an appearance in the evening today and on Sunday. And we have The Finer Points with Jason Miller. We have Will Hawkins and David Allen with Pilots Flight Podlog. Yep. Yeah, you got it. That's very up, good. So I got it no, right that's good. You got time. it right. You got it right. And then, of course, Steve Forrest, otherwise known as Steve Tupper, yep. with airspeedonline.com. So, folks, you got you to gotta stay tuned in the evenings after the air show. And then Friday night, we're doing our first ever gap. I've decided. Gap. gap. Oh, gap. Gap. I, that's not Gathering. Bad. Gathering of, of the Aviation Podcasters. Podcast. Yeah, right, yeah. So, we're filling the gap. Between the day show and the night show. That's right. Filling being the we're, operative word here. We're yeah. filling the gap. We're going to get a bunch of uh, all of this gang, all these aviation podcasters, as well right. as some others that are in town, are going to get together. You, you just don't want to shoot the gap. <laughs> yeah. That's all. We're going to get together, and we're going to have a big hangar flying session on Friday evening uh, in between the daily air show and the nighttime air show. The nighttime and, air show. Uh, and I don't know, we'll have some fun talking with our friends and fellow aviation podcasters. It was recommended that we, we do a Potapalooza South, and I said, no, we have to be more original than that, so we'll just come up with a new name. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. Hey, it's aviation. It had to be an acronym, right? That's right. And that's right. You so, know, I'm learning we, from we, the government. We, we really right. want to, uh, you know, uh, give a word of thanks to our, our, our guests here tonight, uh, Amy Lobota, Barry Martz, James Winbrandt, Dan Johnson, Dave Shawbetter for hosting us, you guys for showing up, and, and, and all of you who aren't here, who've been so supportive since we started this insanity two and a half years ago, cut it out. That's right. <laughs> and, and, and Tony and Jim and our other listeners who've stopped by and waved or uh, uh, had an opportunity to say something on the podcast this evening. Thank you all. That's right. Very That's much right. Well, we really and appreciate thanks. being here. That's right. And it was fun, guys. Yeah, thank you very much, Barry. Thank Always you. A pleasure, Barry. And of course, thanks to uh, to uh, Dave Higdon and Jeb Burnside for being here. I'm Jack Hodgson. David, what were you going to say? Live longer, fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. TTFN. Let's go flying. <laughs> <laughs>